3: $25 each.
2: Visit concert concertweek to buy
1: now. That's concert concertweek to buy now. When you think about the
2: future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all.
3: Join Graham Class as he hosts season two of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming
2: Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My
3: name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul, pardon me, Deccant. And most importantly, you are here, you are you, and that makes this Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. This is a very special episode for us today, friends and neighbors. In a way, it is a follow-up, or I would say a, a spiritual successor... I love that. ...to an earlier episode that we did... Uh, Back in 2017, we explored the strange case of Yellowstone's Zone of Death, a small area of land in rural America where an odd loophole allows... What's the best way to say, it, guys? It allows, in theory, someone to commit a crime and avoid prosecution.
4: Yeah, sort of like a purge zone where you could just, you know, all bets are off.
3: Mm-hmm, yes. Nilly nilly,
4: crime town, USA. Yeah. But as it turns out, with as with today's question, not quite so simple. So maybe listen back to that episode if you haven't heard it in a minute.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes. And spoiler alert for all of you would-be supervillains in the crowd today, it will not work in practice. Do not attempt it. However, in this episode, we relied heavily on the work of Professor Brian C. Colt, the man who discovered the loophole in the first place.
2: And he actually wrote back to us and, and gave us a, a few what, what would you call them? Just some feedback on some of the things mm-hmm. we discussed. One of the major ones is it's definitely cult, as in salt cult.
3: yes. And this, uh, when, when we received this email, we were delighted because in the course of our research for the Yellowstone episode, we learned more about the professor's work, not just concerning the zone of death. We learned that for years, Professor Cult has investigated a question increasingly important and relevant in the realm of American politics. It is this. Can a president pardon him or herself? And that's what we're looking at today. But today, you see, we are lucky enough to go directly to the primary source, friends and neighbors. We would like to introduce you to Professor Brian Colt. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Professor.
2: Oh, thanks, guys. Glad to be here. First off, can you tell us, just in your own words, uh, what what you do every day? What are you studying? What are you teaching?
6: Well, I'm a law professor at Michigan State University, and uh, I teach torts and administrative law, but my research has pretty much always focused on constitutional law, and uh, more recently the constitutional law of the presidency, things like pardons, impeachment, uh, 25th Amendment, that sort of stuff.
3: Fantastic. So first things first, Professor, Uh, I I think what would benefit everyone in in our audience right now would be to know in approachable terms, what is a presidential pardon? We hear the term thrown around a lot, and it seems like occasionally there are also misconceptions about this.
6: Yeah, so uh, there definitely are. Um, Presidential pardon is uh, actually a range of possible things, but at its fullest extent, a pardon forgives uh, a an offender for the crime that they committed. Um, that's the most common way it's practiced. It's usually someone who's already served their sentence, but the pardon sort of removes the conviction from his record, uh, removes any sort of consequences that uh, remain. So if he's still suffering from some civil rights Deprivations like he can't own a gun or uh, can't get certain licenses, those go away along with the conviction. The president can also pardon people before they've been convicted or even before they've been charged with anything. And uh, if he does that, then by getting rid of any sort of criminal consequences for the person's actions, um, that can prevent them from going to prison. And if the person is in prison uh, and, and, and in the middle of the sentence, the pardon would free them. Uh, the pardon can also be uh, some, something less than that. It, it includes the power to commute a sentence, so you're not overturning the conviction, but you are shortening the sentence, maybe letting them go earlier or immediately. Um, there's also the power to remit fines. If you had to pay a fine, they can, uh, the president can make them pay you back. Uh, important limits on this, though, are that the president only has this power with regard to federal offenses, And it has to be something you've already done. So the president can't pardon you in advance and give you sort of a free pass to commit crimes that then won't be crimes. Uh, Finally, there is an exception for impeachment because the Constitution makes the impeachment process separate from the criminal justice process. So if someone's being impeached, the president can't do that, Uh, can't use the pardon to interfere with or overturn the result of an impeachment.
2: Can you clear up for us just a little bit? What exactly is the the state of being impeached, and how does that relate to being fired from a job or uh, giving having given a, a vote of no confidence?
6: Sure. So the the impeachment process is people talk about impeachment um, to refer to the whole process, but impeachment is just the first part. So the, the House of Representatives, by a simple majority vote, can impeach any executive or judicial. Officer of the federal government, and that's kind of like indicting someone. Um, Basically, the impeachment is an accusation, and so if the majority of the House votes to impeach, then you are impeached. But uh, that just means you're on trial in the Senate, and the Senate is the decision maker. You're on trial in the Senate. The Vice President presides over the Senate, but if the President is impeached and on trial, then the Chief Justice of the United States presides. Um, and if a two-thirds majority of the Senate votes to convict, then you're convicted. You're removed from office at that point. Um, unless you are no longer in office, that's a whole other that's a whole other chapter of my my last book. Can you impeach people after they've left office? But um, uh, impeachment again just refers to the Accusation. It's like the indictment.
3: Oh, ah, I see. So not immediately in and of itself a proven thing, just an accusation. Exactly. It was like Clinton, for
4: example. You know, did not get removed from office, but was impeached. Correct, or is am I misremembering that? Censured, I believe.
6: Yes, yeah. Clinton. Clinton was impeached. Uh, Andrew Johnson was impeached. Uh, neither of them were convicted. So it's a it's a blight on the record. Uh, I don't know anyone who would uh, invite uh, an indictment and say it's no big deal. But uh, without being convicted, he he wasn't he wasn't found responsible uh, for whatever it is he did.
2: Have
4: we seen a successful full realization of the impeachment process from a president? I, I
3: can't think of one.
6: Not of a president. The only people convicted under the federal system have been judges.
3: Hmm. And going back to this concept of pardons, uh, we're interested in learning a little bit about your personal story. I I believe some of your first published work on this concept occurred in 1996 uh, during your time with the Yale Law Journal or you wrote for the Yale Law Journal in this regard. When did you first begin investigating this question and what originally inspired you to do so?
6: So, I was a law student at Yale, and uh, I was taking a criminal procedure class, and people make fun of Yale sometimes, Yale Law School, for being overly theoretical, um, and sometimes that's a, that's a fair, uh, uh, fair accusation, but uh, so, for instance, in our criminal procedure class, we were talking about presidential pardons, which is not really an important part of criminal procedure in the ordinary course of things. But the professor had some theories and we were talking about the whole structure of the Constitution and, you know, OK, great. How that's how it works in practice. But how is it in theory? That's what we really want to know. So we we're talking about pardons and I raised my hand and I said, can the president pardon himself? And professor thought about it for a second and said, I don't know. Why don't you look into that? <laughs> so uh, so that weekend I I went to the library and I read a bunch of stuff and I came back uh on Monday and I and I said, Well, uh I did some research and can't say for sure, but I, I think the better argument is that he can't. And he said, Well, that sounds interesting. Why don't you why don't you write something up? I'll you know, call it an independent study, you get a couple of credits for it, maybe you could get it published somewhere. So I spent the next weekend doing a, a rough draft of that. Submitted it to the Yale Law Journal, got rejected. Um, Asked the professor, oh, should I send it around to other places? He said, well, you know, law reviews, the the way that works when you publish is, as a student, it's kind of hard to get published. Send it out to 100 places. You'll probably get 100 rejections. But who knows? Maybe you'll be lucky. You'll get 99 rejections. (laughs) Uh, And... um, I, before I did that I resubmitted it to the Yale Law Journal and they decided to to take it on the second try. Um one of the main concerns about publishing it was it just it seemed like a ridiculous thing to even think about, right? Like why would a president ever how could that ever happen? Um this was in uh the Clinton administration. It was before Whitewater really got heated up. Um it was before people started asking about the uh, self-pardon in the Clinton context. So my first task was just sort of making it seem relevant. So I talked about Nixon, and and Nixon had asked his lawyer about it, and uh, his his lawyer said that Nixon could, if he wanted, pardon himself, and some of the others in the administration said he couldn't. So it was talked about then. Some people speculated about it a little bit at the end of the George H.W. Bush presidency, which back then was not that uh far in the past uh when he pardoned all of the Iran contra defendants after he had lost the election and some people thought maybe he'll he'll pardon himself um but it it was you know they made fun of it they said uh this is this is kind of kind of out there and and what what i think is most important about this and i and i continue to say this is the fact that it seemed unlikely, the fact that it seemed out there, is exactly why it needed to be written about then. Mm -hmm. Because now, you see this, uh, fast forward to 2018, President Trump says he can pardon himself. Now everyone's talking about it, and no one can make the arguments that they have about self-pardons without thinking about Trump. And... If you don't like Trump, you don't want him to be able to pardon himself. And if you do like Trump, you do want him to be able to pardon himself. And the Constitution doesn't care if you like Trump or not. Either presidents can pardon themselves or they can't. So really, the only time you can can get the real analysis, get the real answer to the question, is when it's purely hypothetical. And at that time, it was. And so I wrote at the time what I thought was the best argument against self-pardons being constitutional. Um it was uh sort of a, a curiosity out there for many years. And then uh a few years ago in twenty twelve I wrote a book that looked at a bunch of these sorts of questions. Can the president be impeached while he's uh uh after he's president? Can you prosecute a sitting president? Can the president pardon himself? Uh, what about Section 4 of the 25th Amendment for disabled presidents? Uh, there's a loophole in term limits where where Obama or George W. Bush could come back into office. D- looking at sort of crazy things like that, but again, with the idea of looking at it when it's not happening, so that we can figure out what the right answer is and not what the, the politically uh, preferable one for us is. Um, and... Um, the book came out in 2012, and the, the argument about self-pardons, I, I added some arguments against them. I also looked at the other side, so the book gives both sides of, of the argument on it. But again, in 2012, it still all seemed hypothetical. So I'm, I'm glad that I said what I had to say before I knew whether I... Uh, whether I wanted the president to pardon himself or not. Mm
3: -hmm. Absolutely. And that book is Constitutional Cliffhangers, A Legal Guide for Presidents and Their Enemies.
4: So it's interesting you spent so much time laying the groundwork and asking these questions in a hypothetical bubble, kind of. And now we're seeing uh, maybe the first example of a president where these questions are pretty relevant because of potential dealings before he was president with his very complex business network and things like that that maybe haven't quite been in play in the way that we're seeing now. Do you, are, do you see it that way?
6: Yeah. And uh, so the book tries to sketch out these sort of hypothetical scenarios just to illustrate, just to make it, um, make it uh, more lifelike, give some color to it. And a lot of the things that I tried to put in there, I was thinking about like, if this happened, what would have to, what would have to happen before a president would pardon himself? It would have to be a really weird situation. So that's part Mm -hmm. of the question is when would it happen? What would it look like? And I, I, again, I can't see the future, but I, I think that the book holds up pretty well in, in the chapter on, can you prosecute a sitting president? It, it sort of, I don't know, it, it, it resonates a little bit with what's been going on this last year and a half. The self-pardon chapter, uh, similar things. The, um, the the one on 25th Amendment, which people are talking about. You know, when I wrote this book, I had to try to convince people one of these things might happen someday. It would be good if we thought about them now. And then within uh, six months of Trump coming in, we had three of the six chapters in the news, four if you count the people saying that he should impeach uh, Hillary Clinton. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't think any of this would be relevant anytime soon. I didn't know we would elect a president who tried to hit for the cycle uh, based on my book.
3: And <laughs> what's one thing that is fascinating about uh, various conversations we've seen regarding the concept of self-pardoning is, uh, well, I'd like to go back to the earlier example you alluded to um, with Nixon briefly in some work. Uh, It was surprising to me and I think to many of us uh, to learn that Nixon had reportedly asked his own legal team about this concept uh, way back during his time in office. Is that correct?
6: Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if he asked the lawyers or if he just said to the lawyers, what are my options? And, and they came up with that. Mm-hmm. But a, a pardon was definitely something that was important. And so the question was, if he's going to get a pardon, does he have to wait and get it from Ford if he resigns? Or can he give it to himself? Or you know, maybe they wouldn't have even prosecuted him. We're not sure. So it was, it, it was even then, even though it was very real at the time, mm-hmm. um, it, it was still hypothetical. And the lawyers said, if you pardoned yourself, the option was presented as as you pardon yourself and then you resign because just politically, there's no way that you could do that and and uh, avoid impeachment. Mm -hmm. Impeachment was already uh, the process was already rolling. That would have just accelerated it. And that would have been the end. And he and he knew it. He knew it would have been the end.
2: Can we jump back to Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution just to really go over and lay the groundwork of exactly what the Constitution says a pardon is?
6: Sure. Um, so I can pull up my uh, my little copy of the Constitution here. Awesome. Um, Article 2, Article 2 uh, talks about the, the presidency and uh, here we go. Article 2, Section 2, Clause 1. The president dot, dot, dot shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. And that's it. That's all it says.
2: So so everything else is just us kind of deciding.
4: Pretty
3: open-ended. <laughs> and with
4: that language, that pretty vague language, you get what I've seen described as one of the most king-like powers of the presidency, that's how it appears to me. I think that's pretty accurate. I can't remember where I saw that, but it just seems like a wave of the hand and all your sins are wiped away.
6: Yes, and, and it is one of the most kinglike. And I, I think just sort of thinking about Trump and the pardon power, it's, it's easy to see why it's very appealing to him because it's the, it's the most kinglike, or you could say the most CEO like. He just sort of signs this paper and he doesn't have to go through Congress. Um, he doesn't really have any potential for a court reviewing it because under the uh, so-called political question doctrine, the, the courts will not look at a pardon and decide if it was warranted or not. Uh, so it's it's unreviewable in court. And he just says it, and it happens. He doesn't even uh, need a lot of people to... to uh, Sort of follow along. It's not like something he has to build support for. If he says let this guy out of prison, they let that guy out of prison. Um, so it's it's the closest thing, like you said, to what a a, a king could do, and it is uh, it, it, it is very tempting. I can imagine uh, for for presidents to look at that and think about how they might use it.
3: And we we know that traditionally presidents have not immediately entered office and began exercising this ability to pardon people uh, but but correct me if I'm wrong here uh, did the current president donald trump as we record this did he begin pardoning people earlier than in his time in office than other presidents
6: well in recent history there's been sort of a shift presidents have pardoned less recently than they did in the past and they sort of um uh, waited waited till the end to do uh many of them but it wasn't the earliest in a presidential term that uh, a president had had done it 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 was unusual but it it wasn't unheard of uh and in a way that's That's actually a good thing, because the design of the pardon power, we talk about it being a king-like power, but remember, the president's not a king. And the the whole reason to give the president this power instead of giving it to, say, Congress by a congressional vote, you give it to the president because the president is politically accountable. He's always uh, politically accountable, even though he doesn't run for re-election for two more years, even if he's in his second term and not going to be running for re-election. He's politically accountable to the whole country all at once. He's got uh, political capital to spend. Um, And that's where the the framers of the Constitution wanted the power to reside. So if presidents do what uh, President Obama did by waiting until after the election to commute all of those... Um, sentences and the the, um, disproportionate uh, sentences for for drug offenses. He'd been talking about it, but he didn't do it until after the election. Or President Clinton, on his last day in office, pardoning Mark Rich, pardoning Susan McDougal, pardoning Roger Clinton, his own brother, waiting until after the election when he's not at all politically accountable. Or President George H.W. Bush pardoning the Iran-Contra defendants, again, after the election. The president is supposed to be politically accountable. It's it's sort of this this little loophole that he still has the power even when he's not, but that's not how it's supposed to work. So when presidents pardon early, that's good, because then that means that Congress can uh, respond and uh, the, the voters can respond in midterm elections or in the presidential election.
4: All right, we're going to be right back with more from Professor Cult after a quick sponsor
2: break. Terminix it.
3: Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today.
2: That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today.
3: And we're back.
2: Professor Colt, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just going to make a statement here that is what I believe to be true. <laughs> um, my understanding is that much of law is based upon the previous findings and judgments that have occurred. Like the, the the guiding principles of what is now law is from the past, right?
6: Yes. To the extent that we have precedent, we take those precedents seriously or are bound by them, depending on what kind of precedent it is.
2: Is there any foundational case or precedent that has to do with this uh, at all? A president pardoning himself?
6: Well, we we don't have any case law directly on point on presidents pardoning themselves. Um, the argument against self-pardons relies on a whole bunch of theories and doctrines that haven't really been tested either. It, it really is uh, fair to say that if a president did this, it would be completely unprecedented. Now, I'll, let me back up a little bit. There are cases in the past of other people with pardon powers purporting to pardon themselves, uh, mayors and governors, and um, those, those cases are sort of obscure. They, they hadn't really been um, uh, tested in court, and so we don't have any precedent from those either. But even if we did, the U.S. Constitution presidential pardon power is different, is distinct from any state or local pardon power.
2: What was Doctor Bonham's case?
6: So, this this was a British case back in the seventeenth century, and uh, the issue in that case is, I would say, the the, the power of Parliament over the king, um, and the the power of the common law over the Parliament. Um, so. I don't know. It's it's sort of a fundamental case for uh, judicial review. Uh, people think about it as as l- looking at the ability of courts to strike down statutes or not. Um, I, I haven't thought about it much in terms of the pardon power, but basically the the principle of bonds case, what you'll see it cited for, is people will say if there's a statute that Parliament passes... This was an English case, and it's contrary to what, what have you, natural law or common right and reason was was how they put it in that case. Then then the the judges have to uh, they have to declare it void. And so again, this sort of spawned the concept of judicial review, a court looking at something that Congress has done or that a president has done if it's illegal. Um, then the court has to say so. They have to say what the law is. And if the law is that this statute is unconstitutional, then they're supposed to say so. The actual case was about, you know, sort of a weird medical licensing issue back in 17th century England. So I'm not. I'm not real up to date on what exactly was going on. (laughs) Oh no, worries. uh, With Dr. Bonham himself, (laughs) the uh,
2: the Washington Post just cited it as the a foundational case for possibly this this subject.
3: And as we're speaking about uh, some popular sources of media and news here in the U.S., uh, Professor. Earlier in May of 2017, you wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal about the 25th Amendment and specifically Section 4, I believe. Uh, We mentioned it briefly at the beginning of our conversation today. But I was wondering if you could tell us and the audience what, what the significance of Section 4 of the 25th Amendment is in this conversation.
6: Well, Section 4 of the 25th Amendment is where uh, Sections 3 and 4 deal with presidential disability. If the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, then um, Section 3 allows him to say so and hand over power to the vice president. And then when he's better, he says, okay, I'm better now, and he takes power back. Section 4 is for when the president can't declare that he's disabled or won't. And it allows the vice president and a majority of the cabinet to declare that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. Then the vice president becomes acting president. Um, It doesn't remove the president from office. uh, And the president is still in office. He just is temporarily stripped of his powers. And he can say, I'm not disabled either right then if, if there's a disagreement there or if he's unconscious. Once he regains consciousness, he can say, I'm fine. Uh, if the vice president and, and cabinet disagree, then it goes to Congress, and Congress has to decide. But the deck is stacked uh, very heavily in favor of the president. There needs to be two-thirds in the House and two-thirds in the Senate agreeing that he's unable to do his job before uh, be- before he loses. So it's it's really – um, it's never been used. Uh, section 3 has been used. President's going in for a colonoscopy. He's going to be unconscious for a couple hours. Uh, he hands over power to the vice president. That's happened three times. But Section 4 has never been used. And, um, you know, a lot of people look at it and think, oh, well, if if the president is nuts, then the vice president and cabinet should say so. And then then that'll remove him from office. But it won't. If he's lucid enough to contest the action it it would probably result in him getting his powers back within a few days and and now he'd be mad so it it it's not i'm not sure how it relates to self pardons other than the possibility that if they thought he was about to try to pardon himself maybe they could invoke section 4 um i i went uh, I went and found the Washington Post piece you were talking about. I, I had read it before. Uh, Lawrence Tribe, Norm and it's one of these things. And 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 I, and, and I should say this in 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 general. A, a lot of the discussion about presidential self-pardons gets these headlines, and it's not always the authors that that uh, that say this. Sometimes it's just a headline oversimplifying. But the headline says no, Trump can't pardon himself. The Constitution tells us so. And you can find things that are equally certain of people saying yes, Trump can pardon himself. The Constitution tells us so. And they're both wrong. The Constitution doesn't tell us one way or the other. We've got it's it's Schrodinger's cat, right? We won't know until there's an actual case. Mm-hmm. And when and if it happens, a court will rule on it, then we'll know. All we can say at this point is, we don't know. The president can try. It might work. It might not. And we can say, here's what I would say if I were a judge. And I would agree with um, Tribe Painter and Eisen in this Washington Post piece saying, um, I think the best reading of the Constitution is that the president can't pardon himself, but um there are good arguments on both sides. And I I found where they talked about uh Bonham versus College of Physicians, that was their their um source for the notion that you can't be the judge in your own case. I, I, I I'm I'm actually kind of proud that it didn't occur to me to link Bonham's case with self pardons because I think that's a very roundabout and obscure way to get to that point. Uh, One of the main arguments that the president can't pardon himself is that you can't be the judge in your own case. And remember, I said that it it was about some obscure medical licensing issue. Well, it turns out that's the part of the case that they were drawing on, which is why I didn't even didn't even occur to it. Uh, It didn't even occur to me.
4: Isn't there also the notion that a pardon is inherently the nature of it is that it's for someone else?
6: Yes. So that was the main argument that I added in in 2012. Um, a friend of mine in law school, when I was writing this original article, it was only 30 pages long, I couldn't put in everything I wanted. He said, you should argue a, a textual argument that the pardon is something that's inherently bilateral. It's something you have to give to someone else, not something you give to yourself. And I said, no, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't. I don't want to make room for that. Then Uh, 16 years later when I'm writing it, it occurs to me, as I think about it more, that that's not actually worth including. uh, That's not just worth including. That's actually the best argument there is. Uh, All of this other stuff is um, sort of, well, like you can't be a judge in your own case. Courts will say you can't be the judge in your own case when they're ruling against you being the judge in your own case. But there are other instances where they allow all kinds of self-dealing, and they conveniently forget to mention that. Uh, but if you can find something in the text of the Constitution itself, that's the best kind of argument for me. That's per- persuasive to me. So with that argument, the idea is um, the, the argument that the president can pardon himself is it doesn't say he can't. It says he he shall have power to grant pardons. And and it says there's an exception for impeachment. It doesn't have any other exceptions. They say, well, if they wanted to make an exception, then they would have said and they didn't. So he can do he can do it. But there are limits inherent in what the definition of a pardon or granting uh, a pardon is in itself. So for instance, I I mentioned before, you can't pardon someone for something he hasn't done yet. You can only pardon past acts. Um, Doesn't say that anywhere in the constitution. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where do they get that from? Well, the courts are very clear that you can only pardon things that have already happened, but Uh, It's inherent in the notion of what a pardon is. So this argument is the same thing, that a pardon is just by definition something you give to someone else. And you can look at other words that have the same Latin root, uh, perdonare, um, like donate or condone. Like you wouldn't say I condone my own actions. That doesn't make sense. You wouldn't say I'm making a donation to myself. That doesn't make sense.
4: If you said pardon me you're asking for others to excuse something that you have done, just in like a social situation. If I say, pardon me, Matt, for I have (laughs) belched or something, Matt would say, of course, good sir, you know?
6: yeah,
2: And stop belching in my direction.
6: Yes, that that probably also has uh, uh, roots in in merry old England too. But um, (laughs) I, I think in addition to the argument that a pardon is inherently something you give to someone else and the notion that the court's disapprove of people being the judge in their own case. There's also a a historical argument based on how the uh, people debating the Constitution, the Constitutional Convention, talked about pardon powers. They were worried about giving the pardon power to the president. And um, Edmund Randolph, one of the delegates, proposed, this is all recorded in James Madison's notes, Edmund Randolph said, well, we we need to make an exception. We need to not allow presidents to pardon people for treason. And the reason, he said, was the president may himself be guilty. He said the traitors may be his own instruments. And so we can't let the president have the power to pardon these other traitors that he's a traitor along with. And um, James Wilson, uh, another delegate later on the Supreme Court, responded, he said, if the president be himself a party to the guilt, he can be impeached and prosecuted. And everyone said, oh, yeah, that's right. And they voted and rejected Randolph's motion. And they they didn't restrict the pardon power for cases of treason. And they didn't talk about self-pardons. But what, what this tells us is, first of all, if any of those people thought that the president could pardon himself, the notion that, well, if the president's guilty, we can just prosecute him. That wouldn't have been persuasive at all. And no one no one said that, so they must not have thought that the president can pardon himself. Um, additionally, if, if anyone thought the president could pardon himself, then they would have talked about restricting that, not saying he couldn't pardon traitors, but that he couldn't pardon himself. But they didn't. Um, they, did they say the president can't pardon himself? No. But I think that that Little piece of evidence shows that they thought that it literally went without saying that a self-pardon is not possible. I think I think that uh, there is an argument on the other side of this, which is um, that the, the the president is both the sovereign and a person, and so he can pardon himself because it's it would be Trump the president giving a pardon to Trump the person, and so it's inherently bilateral that way. So, you know, it's not, a, it's not a killer argument. Like I said, there are good arguments on both sides. But to me, it's a, it's a pretty persuasive one. I think it's the best argument against self-pardons because, again, it's in the Constitution. It's inherent in the definition of the word pardon itself.
3: Absolutely. But where does this lead us? We'll be back after a word from our sponsor.
2: Terminix it.
3: Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today.
2: That's termini dot com to book online today.
3: Going off our hypothetical pardon me example, uh, let's go into the realm of speculation just just a bit. Let's imagine that the Current president, or just any president, uh, does somehow successfully d- attempt this move. This, this, uh, they successfully pardon themselves. What would happen afterward? What sort of impact would this have on the uh, U.S. government? On the hearts and minds of the public, uh, what what kind of consequences or implications could we possibly expect if something like this were ever to occur?
6: Yeah, I think ultimately that's the most important question because, um, just like impeachment, the pardon power exists in a in a political context. If the president thinks it's a good idea to pardon someone, then he does it, and and that's why he has the power. And so thinking about how it would look in in my own uh, writing, I set up this hypothetical example of a president who has been accused of all these crimes. And there's some questions whether you can prosecute them while they're in office. So he's running for uh, he's in a second term. So there's there's an election going on and it's very divisive. And, and the, the other party is saying the president's a crook. And if I get elected, uh, the the candidate of the other party says, if I get elected, I'm going to appoint this guy as prosecutor, and we're going to go after the president, kind of like what Trump was saying he would do about uh, Hillary Clinton, although he didn't end up doing it. Um, And that person wins the election. And the president has been saying all along, I didn't do anything wrong. And my, my people in my administration haven't done anything wrong. And and so he, he waits until, again, he's not politically accountable anymore. And he says, um, well, I'll just, I'll just read here. He says, for 10 months, these scurrilous accusations have paralyzed the country. We've been unable to work on the real problems Americans face. That problem was about to get worse. Enough is enough. With this pardon, I'm ending this expensive distraction. All right? He has the power to, to do this, and he's going to use it. So that's how the president... I think most likely would frame it that he's not forgiving himself for doing something wrong. He is preventing these runaway prosecutors from doing an injustice to him. That's how he would spin it. And certain percentage of the country would probably go along with that. So politically, uh, the question would be how many people would buy that, uh, that line of rhetoric I think it would be a scandalous enough act to enough people that the president would wait until he was on his way out of office to do it. Especially if he couldn't be prosecuted while in office, that's an open question, too. But if you can't prosecute the president while he's in office, and you can, if you're the president, pardon someone who hasn't been charged with anything yet, uh, then That sets up this potential. So on his way out of office, he pardons himself. If he's on his way out of office, then the political fallout is much less. So to answer your question, if the president's not on his way out of office, if they're pursuing him and he says, I'm just going to I'm just going to pardon myself. I think the political fallout would be tremendous. I think. The prosecutor who was pursuing him would not just say, "Oh, I guess i can 't prosecute you then He would challenge it in court because it 's not clear that the President can pardon himself. Mm-hmm. It would be uh, swiftly appealed up to the Supreme Court i think um, but it would it would uh, it would be a divisive issue, and the people who agree with the president that he didn 't do anything wrong would think it's great, and the people who disagree with the president and think that um, he's a crook, would think that it's terrible. And I think there'd be a lot of people in the middle who would say, I don't know what happened, if he's a crook or not, but I don't think that pardoning yourself is okay. I think, you know, you need to, you you need to not put yourself above the law. You need to let other people make that decision. And that takes us back to Nixon. I mean, talk about, um, What would have happened if Nixon had pardoned himself? We can only speculate, but we do know what happened after Nixon resigned, and shortly thereafter, Gerald Ford, who came into office untouched by the whole Watergate scandal, he 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 had very high approval ratings, and he decides he's going to pardon Nixon, and immediately, very controversial decision. His approval ratings drop. Um, Most of the data that I've seen suggests it cost him the election in 1976. Two years later, he's running for reelection. He or not re-election, but uh, uh, to, to stay in office for four more years. And he narrowly loses. He, it was a close election. And if you, and if you look at the data, what, what people thought about that pardon, that pardon cost him the election. Mm-hmm. So you can only imagine how much worse it would be if Nixon had done it himself. Ford said, we've got to move mm-hmm. on. This is the right thing to do. If Nixon had said that, it wouldn't have been convincing at all. Um, so, so politically, if the president's still in office, it would be a, uh, it would be throwing a bomb. Um, if he's on his way out of office, it, it would be controversial, but he wouldn't be president anymore. So it wouldn't, mm. uh, it, it, it would be tabloid fodder, right? It would be cable news fodder, but it wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't have the, the same sort of political impact. I think everyone would just wait and see what the courts had to say about it.
3: But then on the flip side of the uh, speculative world we're exploring here, what if a standing president or president on the way out attempts to self-pardon and that attempt fails? Would they, wouldn't they? would they still encounter uh, the same uh, enormous potential for backlash? Because I, I imagine a lot of people who are – uh, going back to what you said about the supporters thinking it's a good idea, the opponents thinking it's a bad idea, wouldn't a lot of people in the uh, the anti-administration side see that as uh, an a smoking gun more or less uh, indicating some sort of truth to all the problems they had with that administration?
6: Well, I think they could they could look at that and say, "See, see what kind of person this is." Um, but I think the supporters would say uh, what they've been saying all along. If they if if they have supported him this long in saying that the accusations against him are false, they would probably go along for the ride there too. Um, and and that's an important thing about pardons that I, I think is overlooked a lot. I, I had a, a, a piece. I don't know if anyone saw it, um, but, I, I, but I liked it. It was in the New York Daily News um, a, a few weeks ago where you hear people say this a lot, that uh, a pardon is a declaration of guilt and that accepting a pardon is an admission of guilt. Um, and, and so, you, yeah, you might, you might have people saying, uh, see, he, he pardoned himself. That means he's admitting he was guilty. But that's, that's actually not right. Um that notion that a pardon is a, an admission of guilt, accepting a pardon is an admission of guilt is uh, taking this one line from this one Supreme Court case out of context and reading it into a completely different one and and really missing the point. Presidents almost always use pardons to forgive guilty people who maybe don't deserve the punishment that they got um, but, they can also, presidents can also use the pardon power to exonerate people. And and it's not the most usual use of it, but sometimes they do. President Ford pardoned Nixon for giving someone who was guilty. He also pardoned Tokyo Rose. Uh, she had been convicted of making propaganda broadcasts during World War II. Um, and she was an American citizen living in Japan. And they they said, oh, she was broadcasting these terrible things. Turns out 60 Minutes does a story. It turns out the case against her was based on perjury and it was totally uh, trumped up charges against her and she was completely innocent and and 60 Minutes had this big story about it and President Ford's, oh, this is terrible. Let's let's do what we can to pardon her. And he and he did. Not because she was guilty. It wasn't a declaration of guilt, but because she wasn't guilty. And when she accepted the pardon, uh, she wasn't admitting she was guilty. She was accepting it because she wasn't. And uh, Trump himself just pardoned uh, Jack Johnson, posthumously the boxer. Again, not because he was uh, guilty, but should be forgiven, but because he wasn't guilty. The case against him was uh, was bogus. So, this notion that he won't do it because it, it would require him to admit guilt, I think, is wrong. And people are, are missing the potential for a president to put it in the language that that, that I had it in my book, where he says, I'm not guilty, I'm innocent. Uh, and these people are coming after me anyway, even though I'm innocent, but I have the power to stop that, so I'm going to use that power. That's what he would say. And so any political reaction would, would have to reflect that context. If the president was saying, I'm guilty, but um, hey, it's good to be the king and and pardon himself, that would be much more controversial, uh, much more unacceptable, but I think also as a result, much less likely to happen.
2: So let's talk um, a kind of an out there hypothetical strategy, Noel, that you were talking about earlier. Um, would it be possible for a sitting president to use one of the the clauses to step down as president temporarily, accept a pardon from the person who is then president in that momentary uh, timeline, and then step back in?
6: Yes. So uh, I I guess that's what you were uh, referring to Section 4 of the 25th Amendment about. Yes, um, the president could do that. Now, It's important to make a distinction about whether such a pardon would be valid and whether such a pardon would um, be able to be done with impunity. Because if if the president did that and then presumably, you know, once he's back, he he pardons the vice president, uh, quid pro quo, um, those pardons would be valid. right? When you're the president or when you're the acting president, you pardon someone that that pardon sticks. But you also can be impeached for that. And you can be prosecuted for it, too, if it's part of a, a criminal enterprise. So if, if, if I give the president a million dollars in exchange for pardon and he pardons me, that pardon is valid. But we're both going to go to prison for for the bribe. Um, hmm. And because you can only pardon something that's already been done, if the pardon is, is criminal, you can't pardon yourself for pardoning yourself. right? The last one, they'll always get you for the last one. So so yeah the, the, the president could could uh, hand over power to the vice president the vice president pardons him hands power back he returns the favor or he could resign uh that's that's basically what Nixon and Ford did Nixon resigned Ford pardoned Nixon Ford didn't need a pardon so there was no sort of quid pro quo there um if it's part of a corrupt conspiracy, then it would be punished as part of a corrupt conspiracy, even though the pardons themselves would probably stick. I, I don't think there's any question about that. There, there are some people who would say that a court would would uh, would refuse to honor such a pardon, but I, based on the case law, I don't see that happening. I think it's also worth mentioning how this would play out if you have a pardon. Um, it doesn't actually mean anything unless someone tries to do something to you that the pardon says they can't. So if you have a pardon and they say, uh, well, I'm going to prosecute you, you say, well, you can't because I have a pardon. Then they try to prosecute you anyway. Then the court has to decide whether the pardon is valid or not. If no one tries to pardon the president, he pardons himself or the vice president pardons him, and no one tries to prosecute him, then we don't know if it's valid or not because it doesn't matter. Mm. It's only when he tries to do something that would only be, uh, he'd only be able to do if the pardon were valid that we would find out. Uh, and there's, there's, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of things would have to happen before a president would get prosecuted. It's not just the self pardon being a remote hypothetical. It's it's also the, the prosecution itself that was uh, remote. So, you know, I love talking about these hypotheticals, but mm-hmm. um it's it's also hard to imagine um the, the vice president wanting to get his hands dirty in that way. Um I'm not saying that it would never happen. I'm just saying that the more things you add in that make it uh unlikely, the the more hypothetical it is, the less instructive it is. Uh, it's, it's hard hard to draw lessons from it.
4: Ford pardons Nixon. To me, that's like a backroom conversation where Nixon is like, my, no, I, that, that's how I see it. Uh, how, why why did Ford pardon Nixon knowing there would be political fallout? It seems like it was something he was like doing a favor for, for Nixon.
6: Yeah, there are, there are a lot of people who think that Nixon made a deal with Ford. Uh, I'll resign and then you pardon me. And I think Ford was inclined to pardon Nixon because that's just the kind of guy that Ford was he. He didn't. Um, he didn't think that we needed to uh, continue beating up on Nixon. He thought that losing the office was punishment enough. All that sort of stuff. And um, I. I don't. I don't think that Nixon really had any leverage over Ford. Like if, if he says, well, I'll resign, but only if you promise to pardon me. Ford, if he was if he was answering honestly, he said, well, I was going to pardon you anyway. Why are you saying that? <laughs> um, or, or he could say, "Why?" Well, I, I, which, which he actually did say. This is all in in his uh, uh, autobiography, and uh, it's, it's been reported in, in Al Haig's book. Um, Al Haig came to Ford before Nixon resigned. Haig was Nixon's chief of staff, and said, um, "Will you, uh, will you commit to pardoning Nixon?" And Ford didn't. Say yes, and he didn't say no. And and when he told his people later, they said, "Well, you need to be more clear. You're not committing to anything." So he called up Hagee, and I'm not committing to anything. But but Nixon didn't have any leverage. He was he was going to get uh, impeached and removed. Uh, he was going to have to resign anyway, pardon or no pardon. Did he really want a pardon? Sure. Was Ford going to pardon him anyway? Sure. But was there a deal? No, I don't think
4: so. I think what I was getting at was that it was more of a courtesy, and I'm wondering why the conversation now isn't like, well, of course, Pence will pardon Trump. Why Why are we talking about Trump pardoning himself when the precedent has kind of been that as a courtesy, your VP will pardon you anyway?
6: Well, I think maybe Pence would look at what happened to Ford when Ford pardoned Nixon and say, if I want to get elected in in 2020 or whatever the next election is, if, if this happened, I would have to think, Seriously about whether to do this or not. And if whatever it is that he's pardoning Trump for is something that involves himself as well, um, then that would be politically difficult for him to do. Ford had the political space because he hadn't been mixed up in Watergate. He had the, he had the space to do that and and not have it look like uh, a a, a uh, an inside deal. In the same way, when when Bush pardoned the Iran Contra defendants, that was controversial for that reason because Bush was one of them. Uh, it looked like he was he was helping them out uh, of a mess that he uh, he was in too. Um, so so yeah, a lot would turn on that. Is Pence involved in whatever he's pardoning him for or not? As far as courtesy is concerned, you know it's it's a political question. He would he would look at the polls and and they would they would survey people and he wouldn't have to decide right away. Um, th- this all turns on the notion that the president is being prosecuted for something, though. And I I think um, yeah, that's that's possible that a former president would be pursued by a prosecutor, but without knowing exactly what the case is and exactly what the what the dynamics of it all are, it's hard to say what Pence would or wouldn't do in that situation. Because if if there's a smoking gun and he looks guilty and it looks bad, then a pardon would look bad. Um, and if it looks like it's some technical thing or some disputable thing and, and Pence wants the country to move on and he thinks that he can sell that idea that this is about moving on, then maybe he would. But he would, he would have to look at what happened to Ford and, and, and realize that unless he has 30 points of uh, approval ratings to spare, he, he probably has to be real careful about that.
3: Because it's tantamount to political suicide, or at least it seems that's the, that's the way the average voter would, would look at a vice president, right? They would gaze unfavorably upon that regardless of the circumstances that led to that decision.
6: Well, I think that's the main thing that's different between now and Watergate. Um, you, you can talk about an average voter in, in the seventies and, and we were still being governed from the center at that point. And now things are so polarized and, and we've got two sides that, that have completely irreconcilable versions of reality. And so there isn't an average voter really. Like there, there isn't anyone in the middle. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that, um, I'm not sure that the political suicide notion is um, something that translates exactly from the '70s. Mm. I mean, he, he, he would have to take that seriously. He'd have to look at what the polls say, but it it would it would play out in in a in a weirdly different way. Um, the same with impeachment. Um, Nixon didn't go until the Republicans turned on him. The Democrats were in control of Congress. It looked like they were going to drive the impeachment forward, but it wasn't going to be successful until and unless the Republicans turned against them. Well, that's the same situation now. You don't get two thirds to vote to convict in the Senate unless both parties agree. Um, but you don't have anyone in the middle anymore. And the Republicans have to pay attention to the, the Republican primary voters. And with that polarization, um, it's it's harder, harder to paint a picture where something happens and everyone agrees that it's bad, uh, like it was in the 70s.
3: And I, you know, I'm having a hard time emphasizing how much I appreciate that point about polarization, because for everyone listening, regardless uh, where you find yourself falling in your own personal, political or ideological stances, uh, the fact of the matter is that the Public in general is increasingly polarized. And although precedent does exist, you know Professor Colt, I think you make some uh, fa- fascinating, fantastic and to some degrees disturbing points about the differences between previous decades and the age in which we live today. Before we conclude today's episode, Professor, uh, we have a question for you that we're certain is on the minds of our our fellow audience members here, and that is this. Uh, Where can can listeners go to learn more about your work and to learn more about the concept of pardoning or self-pardoning specifically?
6: So, I would recommend um, if If people are interested in my book, that chapter two of the book is the most uh, comprehensive treatment that I've uh, produced on the self-pardon question. For 20 years, I was the only person talking about it. Um, Most of the discussion in the last year and a half has drawn on the things that I've said, whether they cited them or not. I think the book is the best place to go. Just go to Amazon, um, type in... My last name uh, K A L T and constitutional cliffhangers and it should come right up. I think they've sold out of the hardcovers, but the paperbacks are still available and the um, the ebook version is still there. If they want to read the original article um, in the Yale Law Journal 1996, um, if, again Google my name Kalt and uh, pardon me and uh, SSRN. Um, it, it'll come up there and you can uh, download the original article.
2: Awesome. Well, get out there on Amazon, find that book, check it out. We There's all, by the way, uh, <laughs> Professor Culp, you are all over just the Washington Post and the internet. When people are talking about this subject, I'm, you get a lot of calls, don't you?
6: I do. Um, it's it's a nice change from 20 years of people thinking that it was ridiculous to even be talking about this. Um, Probably my highlight was in the preface of the book, I, I talk about how I'm, I'm writing this book and, I, and I'm and i at this reception and I'm talking to this prominent uh, legal thinker and he asked me what I'm writing about and I tell him and he looked at me and says, why are you writing about that? <laughs> and uh, fast forward to 2018 and, and he has a piece in the uh, Washington Post about whether the president can pardon himself. So,
3: <laughs> oh. oh,
2: man. It's uh, a little terrifying mm. that you're, you know, You were on the right track.
3: (laughs) But it's prescient as well. And uh, we would like to thank you again uh, for being so generous with your time with us today and for correcting or clarifying some of the misconceptions regarding pardons in general that are so common uh, in the U.S. and I would say in larger international context as well. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. Uh, please let us know uh, further questions that you may have while you're listening to today's episode regarding the concept of self-pardoning. You can find Matt, Noel, and I on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on our fan page. Here's where it gets crazy. And boy, does it ever get crazy
6: in that fan page.
2: Professor Call? do you have a Twitter that you'd like to plug here?
6: Uh, yes, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Prof Brian Kalt.
2: There you go. Prepare yourself for, for a lot of inquisitive minds.
6: <laughs> well, you know, Twitter brings out the best in people, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is what
2: I hear. All right, if you don't want to reach us or if you don't have any questions, you don't have any of that stuff, but you just want to say something, you can always reach us via email. We are
3: conspiracy at howstuffworks.com.
4: 20- $25
1: each.
2: Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to buy now.
1: That's Livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now.
0: I'm Katia Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last 25 years I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
1: Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime.
2: Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
1: Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up,
4: so does Terminix.
2: With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests,
1: don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment
5: online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.